It's awesome to have you all. It's, uh, it's such an amazing time of year. We had a, a breakfast with some friends yesterday. The kids running around. Christmas in Dubai is the best. Can we all agree? Yeah. It's not freezing cold like London. It's uh, families all in town. You can have barbecues. We can, uh, I don't know about you. I, I realized as I was worshiping, I forgot to put my meat in the oven. <laughs> so we're going to eat much later than we thought we were going to eat. <laughs> it was meant to be a slow-cooked uh, lamb. In South Africa, we have, generally have lamb over Christmas. I know there's turkey and beef and a whole bunch of others with different traditions. Uh, but lamb is the best. Can we just give it? Okay, cool. Cool. So you would see around Dubai, uh, we have been here 16 years, almost, well, 16 years in October. I remember when I first arrived, there was a little bit of Christmas celebrated, and then each year it just became more and more. I remember people in the stores and Topshop and whatever it is would, would slowly put, start to put Christmas music on. You're like, oh, wow, we're allowed to play this year. And now Christmas is just full-blown in Dubai. And, uh, and if you look across the city, even... Uh, we, I drove past the Spinney's the other evening, and it was just filled with Christmas lights. If you look around us, there's, there's lights. There's lights in our ceiling. That's, we put up like three Christmases ago, and we just decided to keep it up. And, um, but I, I just got to this thing, and this is probably the title of my sermon. It's not the greatest title, but Why the Lights? And, uh, and in Christmas, we look, and there's so many different symbols that we can kind of just get lost. Is that like, that's just a cultural Christmas thing. But actually, they all have deep meaning behind it. So I've got a few for you. The tree is the death uh, and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a representation of that. The evergreen, uh, and I know it's, it's, it is like adapted from, from a culture, but brought into Christianity, which is amazing. Uh, you have the star on the tree, which is the star shining towards Bethlehem, towards Jesus. Uh, you have the gifts. We all have gifts. That's uh, the wise men bringing gifts to Jesus. Now, this is a, a fun one for me, that the bow that we put on presents is not so it looks nice. It actually represents unity. That we know over Christmas is a time when there's quite often like family breakdown or it's just a bit tough that we have to remind ourselves that it is about unity, that it is about Jesus. Uh, the candy canes, uh, that's the shepherd's crook. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is the place where the lambs were raised for the slaughtering, for the sacrificial lamb, for the forgiveness of the sins of the people of Israel. So those are all like cool symbols, and it's, it's not just like fun things we do. I don't know, I don't know where Father Christmas came in. Um, he was a, kind of a, an outlier that came eventually, but I, I know it was from some Turkish guy that used to give away gifts, and, he is, and I think it was St. Nicholas, and that's how the kind of whole tradition kind of brought in. But uh, if you look at most cultures, from, from Jewish to, to, to Eastern cultures, they all have festivals of light. Right now in Jewish culture, it's Hanukkah, it's, it's the festival of lights. You have the Lantern Festival in China, Diwali was a few months back. And, um, and if you look at most religions, you have the, the highest point of, of finding hope is being enlightened from Buddhism to Hinduism to yoga to, is to find light within yourself that you, you're trying to find enlightened. You're going to, be, you're going to find nirvana. You're going to find this kind of pay, this state of absolute peace. And I, I look at these things, there's not only the pictures of lights, when there's even in Dubai, we're going to see in a few, a few, a few days' time that the Burj is going to light up with, with a bunch of fireworks, that whenever there's celebration, lights are involved. Whenever there's a seeking out of, of religion, seeking out of, of, of God, it's about being enlightened. And I think these are all pointing towards the great light, which is Jesus. It's pointing to the one that can bring absolute hope. Um, we have 
around us an incredible gospel message with the lights that are put on every single building. I've been to a few of the little Christmas markets around Dubai. Uh, there's lights everywhere. This is, a, is an indication of that people, there's a deep longing in our human psyche, in our, in our minds and our hearts, that there's, there's a darkness inside of us. There's a darkness around us. We, we realize we live in a broken a world that we can look around us and it's, you don't have to look far to see actually there's a lot of brokenness. And I want to share this morning just about how Jesus comes and brings his light. It's a simple message. I'm not going to preach long because you're all waiting for the kids to come up, the cute part of a Christmas meeting. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that it does bring life and it brings light to us. In Jesus' name. See, the Bible proposes a different view. It says, without God, without Jesus, there's just darkness. And I don't know if you've ever been into a completely dark room. It's, it's super scary. Uh, it's just, can, if, you, if, there's, if you don't know the way out, it's just complete, can, it almost feels like it's, it's encasing you. And um, I went to my sister, who is Dutch, or half Dutch, I uh, went many years ago, probably about almost 20 years ago now, I went to go visit her. I may have shared this story before. And it was, it was Christmas Eve, and she says, okay, we're going to go out to our friends. We're going to have a, a Christmas Eve party. I thought, okay, cool. Like, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. The Dutch generally aren't. Um, they may, they may, there is, but at least my sister's friends weren't. And we were kind of going out, and we, we went along the coast. And we get into this house, and now everyone is smoking the green stuff, okay, which is... Um, so I'm like, oh, Lord, like, I, I don't want to, like, this is, this is a house where everyone's inside, they're not smoking it outside, like, protect me, you know what I mean? And I was young, this is many years ago, this is way before I was a pastor, I was like 21 years old, and, and, uh, and I, I, I just come, I came into the room, and I just, I just had interaction after interaction of people who did not have a, a, a framework at all for Jesus, which is just crazy for me, because I grew up in South Africa, pretty conservative. We even had, we had Christianity preached to us at school. We had Students Christian Association. We used to have Christian bands that came and played. But yet I go to my sister's friends, and they've never had that, maybe for hundreds of years. Maybe it's, been, it's disappeared out of culture. And I feel, and as I sat there, so I fell asleep, and some would say that it was from what was surrounding me, but I was just tired, and um, I did fall asleep, and then they woke me up at like 11.30, and they, uh, they're like, oh, so we're about to go into Christmas. Would you mind telling us a Christmas story? I'm like, oh, thanks, you know? Like, so I thought, okay, here's my opportunity. I'm literally never going to see these people again. I preached the most hardcore gospel. I was like, there's a lot, and I was like, and I went, I went for it, but in a, in a nice, gentle way, and like, I just saw that the, there were people around me, and I was obviously growing up in a very conservative uh, home and, and culture, and then you just see stuff that you would not expect, and, uh, and I just saw, I just, there was like this soberness that came into the room, and I thought, this is what the gospel does. It brings a light. Where there's darkness, it brings light. Where there's, where there's hopelessness, it brings hope. And, uh, and I, that's what I want to talk about today. So let's, let's read from Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. Verse, I'll read from verse 1. It's not up, but it says, Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and, and Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor the Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Can we say great light? On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation. You've increased their joy. Uh, they rejoice before you as people rejoice before the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, 
When you have shattered the yoke of their, uh, the burdens across the, uh, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Like, thanks for this Christmas story. But here we go. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time, the time when Jesus comes, and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So I've got four Ds, typical preacher, what this does. And it's, it's, um, so the first one is that the light that we talk about here is that it directs. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. People don't know that they're in darkness. People don't know that uh, they, I love what it says, it's just they're walking around in darkness and all of a sudden they see a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. That's a way of just emphasizing, listen, there was no hope. And the, the light, or the lights, switch, so to speak, get switched on. And people don't realize how far they are from Jesus. I'm going to ask Emma to come up quickly. I asked her just before the meeting, if you wouldn't mind sharing. So we had a staff meeting this week. Emma put all the boxes together for the local, uh, for the local giving. So can we give a round of applause? And uh, Starla said she was leading the devotion time, and she just said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up the Isaiah 9. I'm going to help Dan. And it was just the most powerful time with the staff. There was people weeping about what God did for them. Just people in deep pain, but how they found Jesus in this time. And Emma shared an incredible story, which I asked her to just quickly share, if you wouldn't mind. Thanks. Um, so I was um, saved when I was 21. But I think for a long time, I was just still living my life the way I'd always lived it. Um, and hadn't necessarily recognized that, you know, once we, we come into relationship with Jesus, that we there's things about our life that, you know, perhaps need to change. Um, and I think um, I was still very much enjoying boozing um, or jawling, as a lot of you lot call it. Um, and as much as, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I definitely, you know, if somebody said we were going out, it needed to involve having a drink because um, as far as I was concerned, that was the only way to have a good time. Um, but it, with that comes a lot of, wrong behaviors um for me personally you know this is not me saying if you're a christian you can't drink but i'm just saying that that was the thing that i identified stood in my way of growing in relationship with jesus and um i think um somebody i think it was starla actually suggested um why don't you try and why don't you try and do a month without alcohol and i remember thinking she was a bit crazy <laughs> I was like, a whole month? <laughs> I might struggle like, like a couple of days. Um, but I realized it was something that I needed to do because it's difficult to preach the message of Jesus with like what I used to call pirate eye, which is when you're so wasted that you need to focus with just one eye. Um, you know, the, the, the lifestyle just doesn't marry up, doesn't match. And so... Um, I went for it. I thought, right, I'll do a month. And uh, I managed to 
to do a month dry. And then I remember people saying, um, I bet you can't wait till the first of the next month because then you'll be able to have a drink. And uh, I ended up deciding to do two months because I just wanted to kind of prove to myself that I could do it, that I could, I could live without booze. Um, and anyway, I ended up drinking and going dry and drinking and going dry for about a year and a half. Um, and in the end, I ended up having a, uh, a break-free session where I just handed it over. Um, and, well, I haven't had a drink for four years now. Um, but I think... The thing, like I say, it's not that you can't have a drink. It's just about just having things in the right order. And Jesus wasn't in the right order. Booze was in the right, is, was, was in the first priority, you know, and going out and partying and, and having fun was, was, you know, what I, well, what I thought was the most important thing. But I then began to realize that actually, you know, I'd wake up in the morning uh, when I was, when I'd been out and really hungover and severely depressed about my life and just in a really dark space and not not realizing really that actually that wasn't the the best place for me to be in and then and then now waking up every weekend being sober and actually being able to um function on a weekend is amazing actually it's actually quite a joy to to not to be hungover so yeah well done Emma <clears throat> What I love about that story is the word dawned, that the light dawned, is that God works with us. He, he begins to shine on different areas of our lives. And I love what Emma said. It's the thing that gets in the way of you following Jesus properly. And uh, I think, and we had just incredible time just in, in the staff and everyone just weeping. It was a real vulnerable moment. And I just started to think about how light, how you would celebrate light. And then I looked at, thought about Edison and, and the light bulb and this and that. And then I thought about a couple of years ago in 2018, I think it was July 2018, there was a, a group of a, a soccer team, about 13, 14 guys that went into the cave in, caves in Thailand. Who remembers that story? I think they were stuck there for over 10 days. And there were two guys, John Vol Volenthin and Rick Stanton. Both, one guy was a retired IT consultant, the other guy was a retired firefighter. But these two guys were experts in cave diving. And they were the ones that were called in from the UK to come in and rescue these boys. And I've got a, a, a picture of where they were actually stuck. Can we put that up, please? There's the one guy. There's also a cross-section of the cave, if we could put that up. Okay, anyway, there was a cross-section of the cave, and basically it just showed the, the thing, how far these guys had to go, to go, and, and it was just this deep, deep darkness. Can you imagine these, these young Thai boys sitting there going, and the one guy read the story where he was crying out to God, where he was just saying, Jesus, would you just come and save us? And he's singing, how great is our God? And the, there was a moment where I think it was the, the first guy that came up, it was John, he came up and he just, he shone his light, he says, how many of you are there? And apparently there was celebration. He said, there's 13 of us. And there was just this incredible celebration. You're like, wow, someone's found us. But then what you don't realize is that the journey back was quite hectic. And I think that's so often how God works. He rescues us, but then he has to take us out of darkness. He frees us, but he still has to take us on a journey out into complete and out of freedom. Can you imagine being those boys? And I was, I was thinking of the scripture that people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus pursues us. 
He pursues you and I. He pursues us in the darkest place. I remember uh, for me when I was 18 years old, also kind of similar story to Emma, just loved drinking, whatever, just going partying. And I remember God clearly speaking to me, said, what are you doing with your life? He sought me out. He was this guy that went through the caves, that went to the darkest part, and he began to, to seek me out so he can save me. John 8 verse 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. There's an invitation today for Christmas. The second thing is uh, I often, when I'm reading the scripture, and I've done this before and in Christmas, I'd skip out the middle part because you're like, what is it all about? Okay, but I want to just pick up, uh, it says, uh, Isaiah 9, 4, it says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And the amazing thing, and my second point is that, that Christmas shows us that Jesus destroys the works of the enemy. And we can sometimes look at Christmas and it's like, it's little baby Jesus and it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's very sanitized and, and all of these things. But actually it's about Jesus coming to earth to destroy the works of the enemy. It says this in 1 John 3, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now Midian's defeat is the story of Gideon. Who, who remembers growing up in, in, in uh, Sunday school where, where Gideon came and God kind of cut them down to 300 men. They stood on the mountaintop and they hit jars and God won the victory for them. And that's what Christ did for us. And it shows that even in Emma's life that, that God cares about the little details and he wants to defeat enemies in our lives. He wants to take the things and he's, he's, he's taking care of it on the cross. I love the line and in different versions that says that he breaks the rod of the oppressor. And if you think of that in picture language, in slavery, in every cultural in every, for thousands of years, it's, it's in kind of involved the whip, it's slave driving. Jesus breaks the rod of the oppressor. He comes in and he does this by taking on the full weight of our sin. He takes on the full weight of the darkness upon himself and he, and he, and he, gets, he pours out his life for us. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. The third point, the third D, is that he delivers us. He delivers us into new life. Verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And just that one line, it says that a son is born. Um, Three plus years ago, my twins came, and Starla was at home. She had been lying on her side, for a number of months, she had a bit of a, a tough pregnancy. But then all of a sudden, she goes, Dan, my waters are broke. We need to get to the hospital. Now, we thought we were good. Like, we still had maybe a little bit more time. Started to be really good about just relaxing and all that stuff. And we had to just get into the car. So it was just this race. And it was at the 3 o'clock time when everyone's coming out of school. So we came from, like, Jebel Ali area. And we, we raced down Sheikh Zayed. I think I got three fines on the way. Started literally grabbing my leg. And I'm saying... And like the baby, she's like, they're coming. I'm like, in Jesus' name. Like, I'm, I'm crying out. And it's like, because we, we sometimes have this view that, oh, that, that, that Jesus just slid out of Mary. And it was like, he was clean. No, no, he was in a manger. It was dirty. She had already traveled 100 kilometers or so on a donkey. She wasn't that happy. Jesus comes along and, uh, and he, he comes out and it was, it was messy. And I just think with, with our story, and many of you probably have the same kind of story. We're racing to the hospital. We get to like the Umuta kind of area. 
and there's just standstill traffic. I'm like, okay, I've got two options. I'm either going to just mow through all these cars and get like arrested, or I'm just like, I started to just pray like Moses prays, just part the Red Sea, or I'm going to start, because I could see the hospital. I was like, if I just stopped my car and just carried Starla, I'd probably get there sooner. But the point is this, like we, we can sometimes think of the Christmas period as, as this, um, as this uh, kind of soft, gentle, nice Christmas songs. But actually it's about God delivering us. It's about Jesus sends his assault on the enemy of our souls, which is Satan, through a baby. And he begins, he begins the, the kingdom of God. He fights evil not with evil, but with a baby. How cool is that? And it says this, for a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. Isn't that a sigh of relief? We live in a time where we can't, I don't think any government can shoulder the burden. We, we, look, we, we look to governments. When election time comes again, we're like in South Africa or America or England. I know you guys swap leaders a lot. Um, but we're looking for the Savior. And, and inevitably, the, these people are going to, they're going to disappoint you. They're, gonna, they're not going to be the, the one that you're looking for. And we can in this time go, if we're followers of Jesus, we know that not only can he shoulder our burden right now, he says, come to me all are weary and heavy laden, for I'll give you rest. But in the future, there is going to be one day a government that is going to rule with justice and righteousness, that is not going to be there for the good of themselves, which most people, and up to a couple of hundred years ago, most countries were run by dictators, which was for the good of them and the, the people around them is that there's, there's coming a government in Jesus Christ that is going to be for the good of the people and the flourishing of the people. And it says that he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, the word wonderful there is, is a, it's, it's, it's kind of has miraculous tones to it. It's, the, it's a miracle working God. He's a counselor. And I think like so often uh, uh, the counseling we live in in the world right now is, is kind of just very kind of heady where Jesus comes along and says, you, he's your wonderful counselor. He can do mighty things. He'll, he is here to fix your mess. He is mighty God. He's worthy of worship. He's everlasting father. And I love what Jesus does in the Lord's prayer. He's, he just comes along and he says, our father in heaven. But ultimately Christmas is leading us to a father. And then finally it says that he is the prince of peace. He is the king of peace. He's the one that dishes out, and not only between God and man, but between each other. And uh, I, I googled, what is the most anxious generation ever? And it, I, I found out that it was my generation. I just snuck into the millennial generation by like one year. And we live in a world that is wrecked with anxiety. We live in a world where where people are taking anti-anxiety pills, where they're trying to find peace, they're trying to find hope. And I can tell you, like I started with, most religions start about, we're going to find this inner enlightenment inside of ourselves. You're never, ever going to find it. That peace will only come through Jesus Christ. That is what Christmas is about. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, and peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And then the fourth D, and we land here, is that he destines us. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And this is fulfilled in Luke 1, 32. It says, he'll be, called, he'll be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne 
of David. And like I've said, it is. We can kind of diminish Christmas to a nice story. But it's actually about the, the kingdom rule and kingdom government that the prophets and the Psalms speak about, that the one who's going to sit on David's throne is going to be the one that is going to rule forever. It's why when we give our lives to Jesus, we step into eternity, that we are saved, that for, from that moment onwards, we are now his son or his daughter, and we enter into complete rule and reign under Christ. It's showing that his government is going to be the one that's going to, that's going to lay low every other government that has ever, that has ever been. He is going to be... Once and for all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There we are.